Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hey, I am so excited to have this conversation with someone who is a newer, but I think quickly becoming good friend of mine, Carrie Newhoff. And I love this guy. So him and I met backstage at different events. We've had a lot of friends of friends through the years. It's one of those relationships where it's like, how do we not know each other? How have we Uh not connected? Recently, I was on his podcast. He has a great podcast. It's got millions and millions of downloads. And he is one of the most influential leadership speakers and authors, I think, in the world today. So he's got blogs and his online content, which has over 1.5 million visitors, viewers, readers a month. He's the founder of the Art of Leadership Academy. His best-selling book is called At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. He has been profiled by Forbes and Fast Company. He lives in Toronto, and he also is a pastor, and his personal mission is about reducing the decline in the church. And so, you know, I'm a hardcore Bible-thumping Jesus freak, and so we have that in common. But I thought it would be fun to hear Carrie's interesting and unique perspective on how do you grow your personal brand as a pastor, you know, building, becoming an author and a speaker and having a huge podcast and blog following in general, but also specifically as a pastor and some of those church specific dynamics. So anyways, Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, Rory, great to hang out with you. Thanks so much for having me on. So can you just tell us a little bit about your story? Because I think there's a, you know, churches are, you know, a huge institution in the world, obviously, but even in just, if you think about it in the context of personal branding, so many authors and so many speakers come out of quote unquote, the church world, whether it's church conferences or their pastors, or they have like sermon series that go viral and that launches their personal brand. You know, tell us a little bit of your story of just like, how you came up through the church world, and then where did your personal brand, like what do you mark as the genesis of your personal brand? So there was absolutely no strategy behind the personal brand. It was completely fortuitous, providential, accidental. I mean, pick your adjective. It was no intention. I had started out as a lawyer. That was what I was going to do with my life. And God interrupted me in the middle of law school and put a call to ministry on my heart. So I finished up law, went into seminary, but started at three little churches just north of Toronto. I'm in my house right now as we're doing this interview. It's like 10 minutes from my house, these three little churches. We've lived in the same community for over 25 years and started with these dying rural mainline churches. So just think about every stereotype that comes to mind when you think about a dying mainline rural church. I was facing that as a 30-year-old a number of years ago, starting out in ministry. 
And we just kind of saw the writing on the wall. Like I would do the circuit between these three churches on a Sunday morning. Attendance was extremely low, had been since before I was born. So one of them had six people attending on a Sunday morning regularly, another had 14, and then the mega church had 23. Wow. So I started, I'm the like young 30-year-old, let's go get them pastor. And by the grace of God, we started to see growth almost overnight. And we soon outgrew those historic buildings. We amalgamated those three churches, built a new facility, but we were part of a mainline denomination, and that's got a lot of benefits and some challenges. So a number of us, for a variety of reasons, thought it would be best to start over again. So in 2007, we rebooted and became Connexus Church, a non-denominational church. I was the founding pastor there. A lot of those people came with me, went up and down the road. We started a multi-site thing, and that was in 2007. So that's when the church really, it started, we were the fastest growing church in our denomination and one of the largest in our denomination. But when we started over again as a non-denominational church, we started to reach even more unchurched people. And I led that until 2015, and that was when I turned 50. And so I really felt it was time to hand things over to the next generation, found somebody who could do a great job as lead pastor. He's been doing an awesome job. And then I started focusing more on this hobby, which a lot of people would call a a personal brand, but it sort of developed by accident around 2012 for real. It was just a hobby of mine. I thought I'm leading this church full time. It's not taking all of my time. It's going well but I really want to like start helping leaders. And so I started doing that on a semi-serious hobby basis in 2012, and it just kind of took off. Uh-huh. And when did you start the podcast? Podcast was 2014. So uh-huh. I actually, when we started Connexus in 2007, the denomination I was a part of said, hey, we don't want you communicating about this new church in a church owned by our denomination. I'm like, fair enough. Blogging was fairly new in 2007. So I had a friend of mine who said, I'll set up a blog for you. So I started blogging as a way of communicating with people who wanted to be part of this startup. And that became like a bit of a habit and a discipline for me. But then like a lot of bloggers back in the day, I'd let it slide. So in 2012, I had written my first solo book and I'd read Michael Hyatt's platform, right? Uh And I thought, well, I probably should start blogging on a semi-serious basis. So I started doing it in the fall of 2012 and have never really looked back since. Got it. And And then the podcast came two years later in 2014, fall of 2014. Yeah. So that's still fairly early to that. So you've been at this for 10 years. I mean- Effectively, this is far from an overnight success story in terms of building the audience and everything. So it's interesting. So you said when you started Connexus, then you became a non-denominational church. And I guess, how have you navigated or how do you think about, or how did you think about up until 2015, reconciling the dynamics of Carrie as a personal brand and this like leadership writer and podcaster and teacher, and then Carrie, the pastor of Connexus Church. And how do those overlap and how do you like draw the line between the two? I saw the leadership aspect as a hobbyist. I needed okay. a hobby. I had gone through burnout back in 2006, 2007. 
And I realized I didn't have a hobby. So I really enjoyed writing. I love building into leaders. And I thought, this will be my hobby. So the hobby really took off in 2012. And I literally did it in my spare time. I had six or eight weeks of vacation. I forget how much, but enough that I could squeeze the speaking into a vacation day or a Friday or another day off. And then my writing would happen in the morning. I'd hit the alarm at 5 a.m. I'd write for a couple hours, and then I would publish initially three days a week. So it totally fit into hobbyist hours. And that's really how I saw it. And the truth is, even if you go to Connexus today, a lot of people have no idea I do the whole leadership thing. They see me hmm. as the founding pastor. And when I was still the lead pastor of the church, a lot of them didn't really track with that stuff. If they saw that I was in Atlanta or LA or a place like that, they would be like, okay, what was that about again? Like they weren't really sure because I was just their pastor. And it never really bled into, not on a serious basis, my full-time job. Got it. How did your first speaking engagements come along? Like, where did you, were you making like a proactive sort of outbound, I want to go speak at these places and that happened? Or was it more organic because people had seen you at church or because they were following your podcast or your blog? Or like, when did your speaking career start? Like, I guess. So my speaking career started probably, I'm going to say, well, I've always done forms of it. So even in the 90s, when I was starting out, because our church was growing, I would get invited to go to a neighboring city and like, what's your new membership process? Explain that to us. Or how are you reaching new people? And I got a text from a friend the other day, a mentor who I've known for over 30 years, who sent me like one of my early resources. It was literally, it was like a Word document with clip art nice. that I printed out on a printer and was like three staples along the side. So I, I guess I've been producing resources for church leaders for a long time. And that was just an instinctive thing for me to do. It's like, okay, if we have a resource that really worked for you or for us, I'm happy to share it with you. So I would do that. And then I think the first time I got invited to be on a plane was maybe in 2005, 2006. Willow right. Creek Canada invited me to do a conference or I would get invited to do breakouts somewhere. But then I had a providential meeting. And in 05, I met a guy named Reggie Joyner, who was a co-founder of North Point Church. And we became fast friends. And he said, listen, I want to introduce you to my boss, Andy Stanley. Well, I've been following Andy for a number of years online. I met Andy. Andy and Reggie invited me to speak at North Point. Then Reggie left and started Orange. He kind of recruited me to do a lot of speaking for him. And when I got on some US stages back in 06, 07, 08, that's when things really started to take off. Got it. So, and you met him just sort of organically at a conference or something like that? Actually, I was doing a conference in 2004, 2005. We did this conference at our church called Generation Next because we were growing fast and one of the largest churches in the country in our denomination, we had inbound requests from coast to coast, like, how are you doing this? How's it growing? And I said to the team, let's just throw a conference. So both years, we had about 400 leaders fly in from across Canada. And the way you do something in Canada is if you're just the Canadian, no one's going to come. You have to have an American speaker. You got to have a big time speaker. You got to go connect <laughs> with a guy like Rory to get you yeah, a keynote speaker. So... I didn't really know anybody, but I knew somebody who knew John Maxwell, 
And John wasn't able to come, but Tim Elmore came one year and Tim was friends with Andy Stanley. Tried to get Andy. Andy wasn't traveling at the time, but he said, I won't come, but I bet you Reggie Joyner would. So I had Reggie come up and we just became really fast friends. And then ironically invites me to meet Andy. I end up speaking at North Point and that's how it kind of took off. So that's how that happened. I love Again, it. I couldn't engineer that if my life depended on it. There's so much providence in the story. It's unbelievable, Rory. Totally. Well, and you know, there's a couple like very consistent themes here too, though. It's just like doing great at what's in front of you is what opens the next door. Like you were growing the church and that's part of why you were getting attention is people were hearing and seeing that as a leader yourself, you were doing great at the thing that was right in front of you. And so people wanted to know, and they were inviting you, come teach us how to do that. So you were operating in your uniqueness, operating in your strength, and that's what opened the door. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm seeing. That, no, that's exactly it. And I mean, there were a lot, like not to over-glamorize anything, in the early 2000s, there were a lot of church basements where an elder board would invite me in. And I mean, you know, I wasn't getting paid for those. Maybe on a good day, they'd give me a Subway gift card or yep. a card for gas so I could get home and it didn't cost me anything. A lot of $100 honorariums for workshops or keynotes. But again, I really enjoyed the opportunity to help other leaders. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And as long as it didn't overcompete with my family, I was very happy to do that. And most of it for the first number of years, well, probably seven, eight years, was all within a one or two hour drive of my house. It was just people who had heard, word was spreading. And of course, we didn't have social media back in the 90s and early 2000s. So ideas didn't spread as fast. But I was, you know, as far as I was concerned, that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was going to lead a church. And if I was able to help another congregation or a presbytery, a regional government, or, you know, someone else, then sure, I'll sign up for that. Uh Uh-huh. And you were speaking within one to two hour radius for how many years? Oh, probably six, seven years before I ever got on an airplane to do something more. Wow. And so were those all like for those six or seven years, all of that was mostly that kind of like honorarium, gift card, maybe a hundred percent here or nothing. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just did it because I like helping leaders. And there was, again, no plan. It was just like it was all inbound. There was no outbound. There was no website. There was no hire me. There was none of that. It was just all inbound. And actually today, most of my business is inbound. Like I've never, I'm with a speakers bureau, but I know how that works. Nine times out of 10, it is somebody saying, okay, I want to get Carrie to speak. Okay. I got to go through Premier in Nashville. You know, those guys, right? So away we go. And there just hasn't been a lot of outbound. I haven't Like, yeah, I have a website now, et cetera, et cetera, but it's all pretty much still word of mouth. Interesting. So thinking about today, okay, fast forwarding today, because you get invited to speak at some big events and part of how we met, where do you think most of your speaking opportunities come from? Do you think it's more of people heard you on the podcast, they read your book, they followed your blog, they saw you preach, you know, as a pastor somewhere, they saw you speak somewhere. Is it a YouTube video? Is it social media posts that you're making? Like, are you able to kind of tie back and go, in terms of generating invitations to speak today, here is where I think they come from? Definitely not the preaching. It's ironic. I probably, if you look at my last 27 years, 
I probably spent more time writing sermons than I've done anything. Now, the reality is, I think they served our local church really well. And, you know, you have those moments, particularly when I was in my 30s, where I thought, you know, maybe one day somebody will hear a sermon or whatever. The sermons never really took off, despite all the work that I... And I think I'm a decent preacher, but it was the exposure at North Point, Orange Conference, which is Reggie Joyner's conference, Rethink Leadership, which I've headed up for Orange for a number of years... That probably gave me more of a national stage. And then definitely blogging. Blogging's changed a lot. I mean, blogging isn't what it used to be 10 years ago. So I don't blog as much anymore, but that kind of thought leadership on blogging generated a lot of inbound requests. And then, yeah, people would hear me at other conferences. The podcast definitely gives me, I think, probably an authority in the marketplace. Not because I'm talking, like I've already talked more on your show than I would ever talk in a 90-minute episode on my show right? if I'm doing my job right because I'm interviewing guests. Right. But I've had some world-class leaders on, like yourself, but you know, I, I kicked off this year with James Clear and Chris Anderson from TED. I mean, we have pretty much the who's who of whoever on my show, and it's been fantastic. So I think it's a combination of all of those things. And then Yeah, just like I did go with the Speakers Bureau because they're better at negotiating than I am. Mm -hmm. And we get parameters a lot clearer on that. But there hasn't been a lot of outbound. Mm -hmm. And then it's never been, in terms of, if you were mentoring a young pastor today and going, hey, here's some ideas or what are some of your philosophies or your tips around balancing this? Because on the one hand, you go, there's some really massive personal brands. You know, I think of like Mike Todd as an example. And when they did their relationship goals sermon series on YouTube, that thing went viral, drove a lot of awareness, was an amazing sermon series, you know, for Transformation Church. And they've grown a bunch. And, you know, you see him everywhere. He became a New York Times bestselling author. There's a lot of pastors who end up sort of becoming celebrity personal brands. They have, you know, they're speaking at huge conferences. They're selling lots of books. Their churches are growing. And then, you know, I think there's also this dichotomy of going, well, hey, you know, you're a pastor. You're like, it's really not about you being out in front. And, you know, like, how do you balance that? Or what would you say to somebody going through that right now? Hi, it's AJ Vaden. And thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. So I think Mike is a great example, and I know Mike, and I've interviewed him a few times, and we've gone over the story that you talked about when Relationship Goals, this series, went viral. So I'm going to share with you nothing he hasn't shared in public, but it's a really helpful thing. What I see a lot of young leaders trying to do now, because we get a lot of requests in this area, is like, you know, how do I grow a personal brand? A guy like Mike would be the first to tell you he had no intention of growing a personal brand. He Mm -hmm. was pastoring a church 
of three or 400 people at the time. And he had this series that he was really passionate about called Relationship Goals. And what he said to his elder board was he said, hey, more and more people are watching messages through the lens of a camera. They spent, if I've got the number right, about $80,000 on new cameras, which is a pretty you know, ambitious but local church thing to do. And he said, that way, when we capture the message, it'll look a lot better than what we have right now. So he did that. And the series didn't actually take off. It was normal Sunday at church, 250, 300 people there. Series was over. And then one day, someone on Twitter, of all places, found it, tweeted it, and it went viral. The snowball started rolling down the hill. And it was completely, he was as shocked as anybody and took off on Twitter. Then it took off on Instagram. Then it took off across all social media platforms. And his story has been, he was doing really good work as a local pastor. I would say Mike is still mostly focused on doing really good work as a local pastor. But the influence that he's had has exploded Transformation Church. I mean, they meet in an arena and they bought an office complex to house the whole infrastructure now. But that's an example. And I tell you that story to say what Mike did is on a much bigger scale, similar to what I did. Just do the work. Do the really good work of writing a great series for your local church. Maybe it'll take off. Maybe it won't. I set a pretty ambitious goal 10 years ago because otherwise my hobbies die a pretty quick death. And I said, all right, when I start blogging three times a week, I want to hit 100,000 page views in 2013. And I might as well have said a million because it was impossible. It's like saying, I wish there was a million dollars in my bank. You get 10 bucks in the bank. It's like fat chance that's going to happen. But I said 100,000 is a goal. So what I did was I started sharing on social media as it was then. If I wrote a new post, I'd put it on Twitter, Facebook, and then one day, Instagram, when that came along, and it just started to go crazy. And within a couple of months, I had my first 100,000 page views. Mm -hmm. And then 2013 wasn't 100,000, it was a million. Now, social spread ideas via blogs a lot easier 10 years ago than they do today. But that was sort of the thing. I wasn't focused so much on acquiring an audience as I was producing the best content I knew how to produce that I thought would be helpful to other leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think if somebody listening, like even if you're not a pastor, most people listening are not pastors. It's the same connection point, though, to say, do great work at what you're already doing. And it's not going, oh, I need to leave this thing so that I can go start the work I want to do. It's almost always you transition off of doing great at the thing that you're doing. And that is what sort of gives life to the next thing. Yeah. And you may not even have a financial model. Like for the first three or four years of this hobby, I had entrepreneurs in my ear on a regular basis, good friends who are like, Carrie, you got a million people visiting your website. You got to monetize this. You got to monetize your blog. You got to monetize the podcast. And I was drawing a salary at the church. I mean, wasn't a huge salary, but we were able to pay our bills and save to put our kids through school. I had some speaking income that was definitely, you know, not what I get today for doing a keynote at a conference, but it was meaningful enough. And I made a decision early on. I'm like, I'm not going to monetize because my currency is trust. And what I want to build is I want to build a readership, a listenership, and I want to build trust with my audience. I want them to know that they can trust in my content. Not everything's for sale. 
They can trust in the guests that I bring to the podcast. And so for a couple of years, I didn't monetize anything. And then when I was ready to monetize, I had choice because I had this big audience. I didn't have to jump at $10. I could go and interview different people who were interested in partnering with me. And, you know, we joke about it with my team all the time. I've left a lot of money on the table because I'm like, I don't think this is the right fit for my audience. And I won't do a deal if I don't think it's the right deal for my audience. So what I would do is focus on your craft, do really good work, focus on building an audience, and the monetization will eventually take care of itself. And now, how do you monetize a blog following and a podcast following? Well, it's changing. It's changing pretty rapidly. So before we used to have ads on the blog and that kind of stuff, and we don't anymore. If you go to our website, a lot of that is our internal product. So the financial model for what I do now has changed dramatically in the last seven years since I focused on this pretty much full time. Used to be mostly speaking income, a little bit of sponsorship income on the podcast. These days, because the podcast is so big and has a lot of influence and authority in our field, we take a couple of partners, we call them partners, not sponsors, per episode. So I'll have two ads read by me per episode. And, you know, it's not cheap to be on my podcast, but it's not cheap now because I didn't take anything at the beginning. I banked all of this trust and almost 30 million downloads later Now I can say, this is what it costs to get on the podcast. And we sell out every year, really before January 1st. People are itching to get on. We also, because I limit it too, I've had people say, well, you could do a third ad or you could do a mid-roll. And I'm like, no, I don't want to exhaust my audience and I want to make it meaningful. So I do those reads all the time. We also have a newsletter, a sponsored newsletter that I started every Friday called On the Rise. And in it, I find really curious, interesting articles that I've enjoyed on the internet. I'll link to them. These are all outbound links. And then there's a partner link in that as well. It has an excellent open rate. And so we're able to monetize that. Just one out of maybe five, six, seven links will be a partner link. And we're transparent about it. And then once in a while, we send out a dedicated email on behalf of a partner And then there's speaking income. And then I have my own platform. I got into courses about five years ago. And so courses eventually became the Art of Leadership Academy. It's a membership site. And that generates about half the revenue in the company these days. So that's sort of how we did monetization. But we did it very slowly, very experimentally, and a little bit of trial and error. You know, there was one or two sponsors I had in the early days of the podcast where we were getting feedback from, and these were... I don't want to say who it was, but I mean, I used to listen to this company advertise on other podcasts. So bad on me. I didn't do my due diligence. We got complaints from listeners who said, hey, I used this agency service. It wasn't what I thought. And I'm like, that's it. You're fired. You're off the podcast. That's it. You're disappointing our clients. And we went without revenue for a month or two. And then we found another partner to fill that gap down the road. But I think because we've done that so well, we're able to monetize with some integrity what we're doing and our audience now trusts us. And that's what our partners tell us is like, your audience takes action. Uh huh. Do you sell your own ads? Like, have you always sold your own ads? Mm-hmm. And yeah, how do you we have someone in-house who helps with that. At the very beginning, we did that through an agency associated with a company in Atlanta. And then in 2017, I bought all that out 
And I have a guy who helps me. He's sort of on our team. He works with a lot of different organizations. He'll do the leads. And then we're developing our own internal team to handle all that in-house now. Interesting. And so you're yeah, just- so we're not like part of a network like HubSpot or that kind of thing that sells ads. Again, because we're such a niche market. It's mostly you're either a pastor or a church leader who works at a church or you're a guy like you, if, if you listen to my show. So you're all about the church, even though you don't work in the church. So we're either entrepreneurs who do what you do, or we're people who work at churches. And that's a very high value audience to a select group of people in the marketplace. And so you basically just say, this is my audience. What companies or organizations want to reach my audience? And then you just like, contact, just email them or phone call? Actually, them Brad Lominick does that work for us. And mostly it's again, inbound to pick up on a theme that we've talked about. I think I can honestly say I haven't pursued anybody. They have pursued us. Gotcha. Uh-huh. I haven't personally. I don't know hundred percent what Brad does, but mostly it's people approaching us. And so I recruited Brad to sort of be the go-between because I don't want to be involved in the negotiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's interesting to be at your size and to do it all yourself, like do it internally. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a huge agency. And then, you know, and so you've got that. And then you're saying the membership side, actually. What started as courses became a membership site. And now that's like half the revenue of the whole operation. Yeah, and that's all in-house too. And my team's small. There's six of us, seven of us. So that's it. And we keep it in-house. We keep it small. It's grown as a company is, has grown. A few years ago, it was me and a couple of assistants, and then we started hiring some leaders to really lead. But yeah, I'm very, very proud of the team and what they've been able to accomplish. And that allows me to really focus on what I do, which is interview people, write content, serve the members in the academy, and try to deliver great keynotes when I speak at conferences or events. Uh huh. And are you trying to speak more? Like, is that something that you're, or have you always sort of tempered it? Because you have two kids, right? Yeah, two kids. They're grown. Actually, my youngest works with me. So that's a fun part of running the company. He's 27. And my 31-year-old's a software engineer. So he works outside the company. Uh Uh-huh. So you speak a bunch? Like, how often do you speak? I could speak a lot more. Our mutual friend, John Acuff, like he's on a plane almost every week and that kind of thing. And, And he and I catch up on this all the time. I think it works best for me if I'm speaking one or two times a month. Nine times out of 10, it's in the U.S., I do a little bit of international. I'm already lined up for Australia, New Zealand, and Germany in 2024, a big like one month road trip. That's going to be a lot of fun. But for the most part, like I'm flying to Tennessee next week, it'll be great. And Mm -hmm. then I'm at home for another three weeks and then I'll go to Atlanta and then we'll fly from Atlanta up to Northern California and I'll do an event there. And then I'm back for another three weeks and then down to Orlando. So that's a pretty typical rhythm for me. And we say no to about 90% of all speaking engagements. And then books, you also have books on top of all that. So you've got- Yeah, I got five, five books that I've written. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it's interesting because to me, this follows a very similar path. I mean, like, you know, like pastor or not, like just going, you build an audience, you build trust, you create a fan base, a group of people, you're serving them. And then over time, it just sort of becomes all of these things. What's the business of speaking in churches? Like, is it mostly just pastors? Like, because churches will hire people to come in and do a Sunday service, right? Mm -hmm. And then also it's like some people hold these big events and conferences at churches. Is that mostly only just pastors who are doing that kind of a thing? And 
Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing. So, I mean, my old denomination, we used to call it pulpit supply. And I used to do a lot of that when I was a pastor where, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, you speak at my church, I'll speak at your church or whatever. I think with mega churches, there is guest preaching that happens where you bring people in. I almost always say no to that. I can't think of the last time I did guest preaching. And the reason is... You mean you I, going there or someone coming to Conexus? Oh, no. My successor, I used to bring people in to guest preach at our church, and my successor has definitely done his share of that, which I think is awesome. Okay. I don't see that as my personal calling. I feel like my personal calling is to help leaders, that I'm there to serve leaders. And it's not that there's not leaders on a Sunday morning in a church, but I really feel like if you're doing a conference to the second part of your question, that's more my jam. That's what I love. I love talking to leaders. I love it when the leaders of a church or the leaders from industry gather and we get to talk. Or where sometimes that's often hosted. Occasionally it's hosted by churches. I did an event in Indianapolis that was hosted by a church and they invited business leaders and church leaders from their area. But often I'm just speaking to church leaders or, well, I'm speaking to industry leaders too. So I'm speaking to Christian broadcast executives. I've done a number of events like that over the last few years, or I'll speak to chartered accountants who have a faith base, or I'll speak to just pastors who have gathered for a conference. And sometimes that's hosted as a separate not-for-profit or a for-profit company. Sometimes that's hosted by marketplace people. Occasionally it's hosted by a church, but that would be more of the kind of speaking that I do. Mm -hmm. And that's by choice. I used to get a lot of invites and maybe I still get them. I don't see every invite that comes, but I'm just like, no, I don't do guest preaching as a uh, rule. But that is a business model. You can get paid to go guest preach. Oh, there are churches, people who, right? yeah, they would be itinerant teachers and they could go and, you know, speak almost every weekend at a church around the country. I just don't feel like that's a good calling for me. Uh-huh. Like, you know, roughly speaking, if you're doing that, I'm assuming the fees for those are lower than what you would experience in the corporate market, maybe more like an association, maybe like a few thousand bucks for a weekend or something like that. Probably, you know, I'm not really in that field, so I couldn't tell you, yeah. but like the conference circuit would definitely, I assume, pay more, more yeah. and, you know, it would be like, well, you know, premier speakers and agencies like that, that it would be more like what you get paid at a leadership conference wouldn't be quite what you get paid to keynote at a business conference, but it would be more on par with that. Yeah. I love it when we have, I mean, when Crosspoint in Nashville, we have guest preachers come in probably, I don't know, maybe like four or five times a year. And it's always, it's great. always great. It's always great. We had Lisa Harper this last weekend. And have you ever met her? Do you know Lisa? Harper? I haven't, but I have all kinds of friends who know her. Oh, and man. I, she's hilarious and brilliant and wonderful. Yes. Hilarious brilliant moving i mean it was such an incredible such an incredible sermon and see and that is such a gift and like it's really interesting because you know for the 3 years that i was still a lead pastor i would work like crazy on a sermon and you know we'd get maybe 1500 people who heard it or watched it or something like that and that was great and then i'd whip off a blog post in an hour and a half at 6am one morning and post it and the next week 100,000 people would have read it. <laughs> so I was getting really disproportionate results on the leadership content. And I take that, like, eventually it's like, okay, God, that might be a sign that this is 
something you've equipped me for. So that's really the lane that I focus in. And even I was talking to a client this afternoon where, you know, they wanted some kind of inspirational message. And I'm like, I think you got the wrong guy. Like I'm a leadership guy, but here's what I can deliver. It'll be in bullet points. It'll have a few stories. It'll be interesting. They're like, yeah, we're good for that. I'm like, I just don't want you to think I'm the sermon guy because I'm not the sermon guy. That said, I'm preaching at my church in April and I'm going to do my best, but I can promise you it won't have the resonance or the impact that a keynote I give at a conference will have. It's just the way I'm wired. Yeah. I mean, doing the sermons, man, writing a new 20 minute speech every week, like that's not for the faint of heart. That is so- I did it for 30 years. So I'm like- done. Yeah, yeah, it is really, really hard to do that. Um, and to the same people. Like when, yeah. you're, when you're doing the conference thing, like I give a version of the same three talks wherever I go. Right. You usually have two or three that are kind of your current roster and I'll vary it by the event. But like I get to tell the same stories, the same jokes, yeah. all that stuff, because 98% of the audience has never heard you. And that's what they expect you to do. When you're a conference speaker and you're doing the circuit, it's kind of like going to see Coldplay or Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift, the better do you shake it off or you want your money back. Right. And yep. so there are talks that I've been known for on the conference circuit and they want me to do them. And I actually really enjoy it because I know I'm going to help everybody in the audience. It's sort of like, oh, I know where this is going. I know this is really going to help people. We're going to have a great time together. Whereas, you know, if you're preaching 40 Sundays a year, you're kind of hoping this thing's going to connect, but you don't know. It's a very special thing a really great period of my life, but like not anxious to go back there. Interesting. Interesting. Well, man, this has been an awesome sort of journey down. I'm just always curious about the path of pastor to leadership, you know, consultant and teacher. And, you know, this has been super inspiring. Where do you want people to go, Carrie, if they want to connect with you and like link up with what you're doing? So my name is really easy to spell. Just go to <laughs> carrynewhoff.com or you can go to the artofleadershipacademy.com. You'll you'll find us there. Also, Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, great show. Man, it's been so wonderful to get to know you a little bit and to be your pal. And thanks for the work that you're doing and, and all the people that you're inspiring. And, and thanks for being here and just sort of sharing like a little bit of behind the scenes of... How Carrie Newhoff became Carrie Newhoff, man. It's been awesome. Well, it's an absolute joy to be with you, Rory. Thanks for having me. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 